Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Indy Staples Show. It is another five-star questions from five-star listeners edition. Uh, if you listen to Monday's show, Ari Wasserman and I answered the questions that you've attached to your five-star reviews of this show, and we appreciate that. And the deal is, you ask a, a question after leaving a five-star review, we're going to answer it on the show. So we're going to try to get through as many of these as we can. We, we, we've actually got some new ones, Ari. So uh, we're going to have to sprinkle these into just regular episodes, but we're still going to do these every once in a while because they're just fun. The questions are fantastic. So, but we have, uh, I, I would say our listeners not only have five-star hearts, they also have five-star ears. Yeah, they do. And five-star brains. They're very smart. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go leave a review, uh, from my account and I'm going to ask you whether you would rather give up cheese for the rest of your life, um, or have a 5% chance every morning of waking up covered in peanut butter. For the rest of your life, I would. Take you don't have to answer that butter. now. You can ponder it. No, this is an easy one. I take the peanut butter one once every twenty days. I'd go take a shower and I'll eat some cheese. You think that it's just as simple as taking a shower, waking up in your bed covered in peanut butter? Well, I mean, that I would be a three-hour process. I think. I don't think so. Okay, I'm just saying, like, wait, you're late I mean, for I'd work, or you're covering eat some a game. Of the peanut butter myself. You wake up for a, a noon game in the SEC and. You know, you wake up at 9 a.m. ready to head over to the stadium and you're just doused in peanut butter in a I, hotel I room? I doused. I, I have a shower, Ari. I have soap. Uh, okay. I mean, is I think it I would take the peanut butter, butter too, but I think that you're underestimating it, how annoying that would be. Isn't peanut butter what you use to get gum out of your hair? Like, I don't know. I've never had gum I, in my I hair. think it'll wash out pretty easily. Okay. I mean, I'm just like thinking about how greasy and sticky it is. And then it would be all over your floor and, and on your okay. sheets. I got another bet for this season now. We got to <laughs> no. figure out what game oh, it is. God, no. Covered no. in peanut butter bet. Coming right up. <laughs> if you think it's so difficult and I think it's so easy, we're going to find out. I'm. You're the one who has to do it. I don't want to do it. I, I'm the one who oh, respects no, the difficulty of it. Oh, no. You'll have to do it, it if you lose. I'm the one that respects the difficulty of it. You'll have to come up with other terms for me. I don't want to do it. You're the one who says it's no big deal. You have to do it. Like the chip. Your mind goes to so many bizarre places. No, I'm, I'm washing the peanut butter off and I'm eating okay. some damn cheese. It's not Doing that laundry and, and vacuuming your floor and all that stuff. Have fun. <laughs> Trust me. I, I have faith that I can get out of the peanut butter scenario and eat like, some What if cheese? you had like a very big morning the next morning and like every night before you went to bed, you had to be like, God, I hope tomorrow's not the day for the rest of your life. <laughs> I don't know. I'd probably just have a lot of jelly in my pantry. Or also, you'd also you'd have take, to wake up take like the bread minutes. and just just strap it, wipe it down. You'd also put, have have to like wake up thirty minutes or forty minutes earlier than you want to every day for the rest of your life, just to account for the possibility. But imagine of it. the the nineteen of the twenty days that you don't wake up covered in peanut butter. It's going to be such a relief. It's going to feel great. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go to bed anxious every night. All right. Well, that's a question from an insane person. Let's <laughs> let's go to our five star listeners 
and and listen to their questions because th- they're a little more sensible than than Ari's. All right, corn on the cob. And I already love the show. As the biggest USC fan on the East Coast, I'm wondering what you guys think about USC not having an organized NIL collective yet. Seems to me like it could cost them big time this summer with high-profile 2023 prospects. Well, corn on the cob, hopefully you've been reading The Athletic, and if you haven't, you can subscribe. Dollar a month for your first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. Antonio Morales, our, our beloved USC beat writer, had a great story just yesterday on... USC's collective. They now have an NIL collective. It's a it's a little more prim and proper and attached to the school than than some of these other ones. Uh, it is mainly going to be used probably for current players. Uh, but listen, in that market where they are, given the connections that school has, my guess they could do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I saw somebody tweet this the other day and I... I believe it. I just feel like every single person um, who has an NIL collective or every program or fan of their specific collective feels like they're going to change the world with their specific ideas. And I think that as you know, things become more regular and we, we kind of descend into norm normality a little bit that they're all basically going to boil down to the same thing. It's just like, who is going to be able to pay um, the most money for advertisements and which ones have, have most access to businesses in the area and, and most interest in the players and which ones are most marketable. And, you know, collective a is going to do it this way and collective B is going to do it this way. But I think in five years are all going to be the same. Don't you? I do. I, I, cause that's how businesses work. And now you, you have disruptions every once in a while, but every, everything finds its level. Everybody figures out the most efficient way to operate. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Now with USC, I think what what needs to happen for them and what what they would like to happen is if they become one of the hottest brands in L.A. again, which they've been before. Now, when Pete Carroll was there, was a little bit different environment. The the NFL had not returned to L.A. Uh, The Lakers were good, but the Dodgers weren't. And it was really the Lakers in USC, and that was it. And so... The, the USC was a huge brand. They were they were Southern California's football team, and I realize the UCLA fans are probably, rah, rah, rah. but I mean, everybody was paying attention to USC at the time. They were a national brand, but they were they were very cool in the local market. Right now, it's a little bit more difficult when you've got the Super Bowl champions in your market, and oh by the way, the other team that that just came up from San Diego has one of the best young quarterbacks in the league and is going to be very exciting going forward. So yeah, the one thing I've always wondered, though, and I'm not an expert on this, and maybe you you know, is that there's there always been kind of this semi-disconnect between the NFL franchises in L.A., and that's why they kept moving. Like, I don't what, know if it's, how it's, passionate it's, it's of an NFL city is L.A.? I feel like they're, they're passionate Rams fans. The Rams were their team originally. Because the, remember, the Raiders came in in the 80s and were there briefly. But that was still still a, a Bay Area team that was just down there. The, the Rams were their team. Then the Rams left, and now the Rams are back. The Chargers still feel kind of like in, interlopers. But the fact of the matter is, you got Justin Herbert. They've got a good roster. They're going to be good. So it's going to be were, were LA fans St. Louis Rams fans? I don't think so. I think they were mad about that. Okay. And, and, and boy, the St. Louis fans hate Stan Kroenke. Yeah, the, no, the I can't imagine the Rams. So yeah, because I, I don't know, I don't know if 
and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I don't know if LA being really cool again is predicated on how much interest is elsewhere, like surfing or the NFL. I think it's just a matter of being the it thing at the That's time. That's right. You got to be yeah. good. Like USC's yeah. got to be good, and they will be cool in LA. Like they will, they will kind of ascend. I don't know that they will be able to. It was kind of a happy accident that they could they could occupy the spot they occupied during the Pete Carroll era, but they can still be a big deal. Because I like to think about like if you just drop one of the Oklahoma teams with Kyler Murray or Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield just into L.A. as USC one of those years in the in the in the midst of whatever NFL was going on at that point. I still think that it would be one of the largest stories in sports. Yeah, it wouldn't have taken until late November for us to figure out that Kyler was going to win the Heisman. So it it, it, it was. Yeah, I, I do think so. If if Lincoln Riley does what he's supposed to do. I think this NIL collective will will be able to generate a lot of interest and a lot of a lot of good deals for the players and because they're going to be in demand. They're going to be considered cool. And I I think that's the that's really all it takes. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that Antonio mentioned this in his story, but USC has been kind of played multiple roles in the NIL conversation, you know, in the past few months. When you look at the way people perceived Josh Connerly Jr.'s decision to go to Oregon, um, people thought, well, Oregon just had a better collective or a better NIL deal or a better pitch, and USC kind of was sitting on their hands. And then a few weeks later, or was it a month later, when Jordan Addison transferred from Pitt, everyone's like, oh, my God, USC just paid him to do it. And it's just like, right. which one was it? You know, it, it, and, Right. It's not both. The answer is not both. So... Jordan Addison might have looked at it and gone, you know what? I want to play with Caleb Williams in a Lincoln Riley offense. That might have been it. Because Jordan Addison's going to get paid next year. Regardless yeah. of where he played this year. He's going to get paid. So and I wonder too, and maybe what, I'm very curious what you have to say about this, but certain prospects are going to get paid no matter where they go. Yes, correct. Well, and, and Jordan Addison's one that that probably will command... Again, NIL the way it was intended to, not as an inducement. He he's going to command that sort of deal because he's going to be a, a high profile player who's putting up good numbers. So he was going to those uniforms are so sexy too. The uniforms are are beautiful, but but if you look at look at what Jordan Addison was looking at, USC, Texas, and Alabama, he would have gotten deals anywhere he went. That's right. Anywhere he went, he he was he was going to be fine. So I think that's the part that that you got to you got to understand is not. It's not that they have an NIL collective or the, the the NIL collectives that are that are throwing money at recruits are a little bit different animal. And I don't again, this is this is something we don't know. We can't predict because we don't know how that's going to work, if it's going to work. And we also don't know if people are going to be willing to refill that or reinvest in new recruits. Or will they say, you know what, I would rather take this money and spend it on a guy who just had a great freshman year and make sure he stays on the team and is happy for the next two years. Yeah. Like, also that's too, a it's more a business sure investment. It's a business too. So like if you actually are getting anything in return, whether it's banquet appearances or local spots on, on commercials or, or tweets, you want the person that you're paying for, for right. their name, it's, image and likeness to have a really good name, image and likeness. Exactly. It's, it's much lower risk. You get the person you want. Like if you're doing meet and greets at golf tournaments, the, the people paying for the golf tournament 
are happy because they got to meet somebody who's or good. Or will pay more because they want to meet somebody who's already really good. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm with you. So I, I do think this will, this will all kind of find its level. We just don't know exactly how that's going to work quite yet because it's, it's so new. Everything's new. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's go to our next question. This one is from Jeff C. and Jax. Huge fan of the pod and all the random discussions. Good. Well, cheese versus peanut butter uh, waking up covered in it is a, is a great discussion to have. Question for you guys. I'm a Georgia Tech alum, and Andy has mentioned Deion Sanders to Tech a couple of times in passing. Do you think that's a real possibility or maybe inside information? I'm going I'm to break your heart, Jeff. I don't have any inside information on that. That's just me reading the tea leaves and saying, I don't think Mike Norvell is going to get fired at Florida State this year, which is where I think Dion would like to go. I don't think Jeff Collins is in real good shape at Georgia Tech right now, and that is a place that I think Dion could do considerable damage as a recruiter. Now, I don't know if Dion wants to do that. He, he was just in Sports Illustrated talking about how he wants to bring back uh, HBCU football to, to a new level. And maybe he wants to stay at Jackson State and do that. Maybe he wants to go back to Texas where he was living before. I don't know. But I think if you put Deion Sanders doing what he's doing at Jackson State, you put him at a Power 5 school in Midtown Atlanta, whoo boy. If you took all the best teams or the already made teams out of the equation and you had to pick a spot for Deion Sanders to build from, like I think Georgia Tech might actually be like one of the top five choices of well, like, Florida State would be the would be one of my number one choices or you know right, would be my right, top right. two or three choices. And it's like yeah. I'm trying to figure out like how to to view Florida State right now because they've been down for quite some time and it seems like kind of a, a long way back up the mountain. But like, what about if you took all traditional powers out of the equation and like Dion had to go to the Power Five and make something out of someone. That hasn't really been something before. And I know Georgia Tech won a title in the Ooh, 80s, but like, I feel yeah. like Georgia Tech might actually be the answer to that question. Georgia Tech is going to end yeah, 1990. I was at that Citrus Bowl at the end of the 1990 season when Georgia Tech clinched a share of the national title. Uh, were, there, were you a kid? I was. I was 12. Uh, yeah, 12 uh, okay. years ago. I was going to so. say, like, I didn't know yep. if you're like, I covered that game. I was like, what? No, no, I was a seventh grader. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. I think I think my high school they were selling programs. The the players were making extra money selling programs, but I was in, I was still in middle school, so that would be one. Yes, and and Georgia Tech is a place you can do that. It's a state school. I I realize it's it's a academically prestigious state school. It's hard to to stay in 
the major, there's no real super easy major there. So that that is a, a challenge and has been a challenge for the coaches who've been there. It's it's the reason Paul Johnson was was a good choice there running the option because what about UCLA too though? No, no. I'm trying I just to think don't of think other UCLA ones. cares enough. Like you got to deeply care about football, and Georgia Tech does. But usually, there's a correlation between keep caring deeply about football and being somewhat good at some point. Here's one. Let's say Dave Doran has a great year at NC State and leaves. Yeah, I think I think Dion could do great at a school like NC State because NC State cares about football. They're going to invest in it. They can get good players there. They, they have a history of of having some really good players. They've had you know elite quarterbacks. They have Philip Rivers, Russell Wilson. Then a number one pick in the draft in Mario Williams the the year that Reggie Bush came out. I mean, it is that that's a place I think a lot of. A lot of coaches would go. You know what? That's that feels like a pretty good job. I'm, I'm thinking so, maybe he's from Texas, right? Originally? Uh, no, he's from Florida. He's from Fort Fort Myers, Florida. But oh, he didn't. He, uh, he didn't go to high school in Texas. No, he went to high school in Florida. Oh, so but he 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 started a high school in Texas. He he settled in oh, Texas after his NFL. That's career. why I'm getting confused. Yeah, you're yes, thinking of trendy prime leadership. Draft. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now TCU, SMU, that sort of thing. It looks like those are set for a little while, unless Rhett Lashley just is is great at SMU and gets another job. But you know, Baylor, I don't think Aranda's going anywhere right now, and Aranda seems like the type that you know Baylor actually might be the spot for for Dion. But the problem is, Dave Aranda's got a, a good thing going, and he is does not strike me as the type who's just going to jump at the uh, at the first kind of national title contender type place that tries to hire him. I think I've got the answer. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be better than Georgia Tech, but what about ASU? I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And you think, I mean, think about this. He's getting kids to Jackson State with his force of personality, and that's really, it's really what it is. It's his force of personality that is causing those guys to say, you know what, I, I can succeed here. You give him Tempe, Arizona, and you give him much bigger resources, even though, you know, most most people would complain, you know, like an SEC coach or a Big Ten coach, because, oh, we don't we don't have nearly the resources of any of these people. But I think the resources would be good enough, and especially coming from where he's at, he would be like, this is I can work with this. I, I yeah. definitely think I definitely think Arizona State would be a spot that and he the thing about Dion that I think is most impressive about what he's done at Jackson State is he's gotten people to invest in that program. You know, he got Walmart to donate a, a practice field surface for them. He got, you know, he he reached out to all these places and tapped relationships that he already had to bring in money that that program just wasn't didn't have available to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the HBCU programs struggle to raise money in that way. And so and and he's He's doing like one of the smarter things I heard him say in an interview that I found really interesting and had not thought about. So with the HBCU games, you know that they have a lot of these classics where one team has always played another team at a neutral site. um, And and it's kind of a a reunion for both schools each year. Well, apparently there's these management companies that run all these classics that that basically take all the money and don't give much of the money to the schools. And Dion's thing is, why is that? Why don't the schools just run them themselves, rent the stadium 
themselves and keep the money. And so I just, everything he's done tells me this guy understands this, all of this game a lot better than most people, which you should under, you should expect because Dion as a bit, as a, as a brand while he played was pretty smart. Now forget that he's one of the more phenomenal athletes in the history of sports. Like he was the best cornerback in the NFL and oh, by the way, could take a helicopter and then go play in a major league baseball game. Like there's there aren't many uh, Bo Jackson's maybe the only other person that compares. I just like to think too, just what could make the Pac-12 relevant again? And maybe the answer will be USC eventually, but but like that would using, that would work using primetime as his nickname as a way to be like primetime is after dark. You know what I mean? And like make oh, ASU like the yes. coolest, the coolest like it's like you got to really lean into it, but make ASU like the official visit capital. Like see, like we've got the best official visit on the face of the earth. Use Tempe, use the the weather, uh, use everything that you can get those kids from California out there. I, yeah. I really do think that ASU the kids and from I, the south out there, the kids. Yes, from the south yes. Would love it. And it's and, like, and I know about ASU. Okay, Phoenix has a huge airport. What what's what is the Uber ride from from Sky Harbor to Tempe? Ten minutes, maybe. Like, it's a direct flight from wherever you are, pretty much. Ten minute Uber ride, and you're in paradise for That's a college right. student. Yes, and uh, I think that they have a lot to sell about being cool. It's like if you think about Lincoln Riley as the villain of of the sport right now and like what USC could do and how he, he left Oklahoma and all the things that transpired after it. Like if Deion Sanders played like the, you know, to maybe kind of have that same uh, viewpoint of like the way you would have viewed the U back when it was the U, you know, like, yes. Make, and, and like be like, well, we're going to showboat. We're going to dance. We're going to have a good time. We're going to do the, you know, the Deion Sanders, you know, whatever. Yeah. And like make ASU that. And it's like, I know that ASU has kind of been like this, this program that's experimented with different types of things to try to re to rebrand well, the program after, after some and stuff. Of the, the dumb cheating they tried to do that, that got all these people fired. Like, don't cheat. Just be a renegade program. But be be the yeah. be the bad boys of college football. That's a great look. It's it's fun. Like, and especially now when I think people are more willing to accept that. Like, there'd be if the Miami teams of the '80s were playing now, there would be a large portion of the of the college football fan base that would embrace them. That that hated them back then, but yeah. would embrace them now because we're just we look at these things differently. It's not just a but that's the thing about heroes, it though. villains kind of thing. Being hated is being relevant. No kidding. So You're exactly right. You know, you know, if if you get, I don't think there's a lot of college football fans out there right now that you know. Have you ever watched uh, Mad Men? Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, I can't remember the character. It's been seven years, but he the guy who got into the the elevator with Don Draper and he goes, "I feel he bad for you." Oh, yeah. And then Don I, Draper looks back at him and says, I don't really think about you at all. I don't even all. think about you at all. It was <laughs> yeah. Pete, yeah. Pete Campbell, who had some great yeah, elevator Pete Campbell. conversations. <laughs> yes, I don't he, think about you at all. I mean, there are a lot he, of people in college football that don't think about Arizona State at all. The greatest scene in Mad Men, and I say this is someone who, who routinely quotes that that's what the money's for scene with Don and Peggy. But the greatest scene in Mad Men was Pete Campbell gets in the elevator with Bob Benson. And Bob's like, how are things going, Pete? And he goes, <laughs> not, not great, Bob. <laughs> I don't know. When you watch that show, I found myself drinking a lot. 
I started drinking old fashions because of during that it, show. right? Like I started yeah. like, but like you would drink whiskey while watching the show oh, because it was tremendous. Can you yeah. explain to me how these people drank that way and were even five percent productive during the day? Is that they what di- office life actually was like, or was it like dramatized a little bit? No, that that apparently was what it was like. But they they died it in their early sixties of liver failure. That's that's why. That's no, how they I know, did it. but but it's just like crazy to me to think that. These people would show up and have a very demanding job, from what I can understand, like advertising, writing Didn't copy. Look that demanding up. to me. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, it'd be, we'd be pretty good at it. Not putting on roofs in the summer. I guess so. uh, uh, being uh, an advertisement person is like kind of like coming up with a recruiting strategy. But basically, they were low. I mean, they were drinking. You saw the heavy pours they were putting in. If I drank that much, I'd be blacked out. Three martini lunch, baby. That's, yeah, that's the way to do it. And it's like, is, is that just what going to work was in 1965? I, I guess I, I like mean, to for, think for like a, my dad lived for a in that very world. select subset of people. Yes, it was, but for for everybody else, it probably was a little more difficult. So yeah. All right, let's move on to this next question. This is a uh, this is a lengthy one, but I like it. This is Purple Haze WA. So John in Spokane, Washington. Um, this is back in early June. He sent this in on the latest episode. You mentioned the Big Ten could go with a three-five scheduling model that would allow each school to keep three permanent rivals while accomplishing round robin with the remaining schools in just an eight-game schedule. This seems like an excellent opportunity for the Big Ten to experiment with a three-five plus one model, which is not a math equation. The plus one would be keeping the week prior to the Big Ten championship game open, so they could have the top four play in what would essentially be regular season semifinal games with the winners advancing to the championship. And I have to think the league's new TV partners would love this. The remaining teams could get paired up in any number of ways, try to avoid rematches, lower teams against lower teams, to try to make sure one gets bowl eligible, etc. But to me, the best aspect would be the semifinal games, made with some rules regarding seeding to try to avoid rematches if possible. If a rematch gets made for the championship, so be it, as they earn their way back in. Semis could also help eliminate the immediate rematch between two teams, in a championship coming off their rivalry game, if there is an immediate rematch and a semifinal game can be avoided. That that is really great. That and and so what what John sent is the genesis of that SEC versus all y'all idea that we've talked about. Uh Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, mentioned that they had thrown out some ideas. They just spitballed some stuff about leaving a week open for semifinals and that sort of thing. That's exactly what what this is. And in the Big Ten, I think it would work too. And and this is already remember the the pandemic season. The Big Ten was going to have that, and they they played a couple of games, but a lot of the games didn't didn't wind up getting played because of COVID stuff. But they basically left a week open and then matched a bunch of teams up at the end. Yeah, the the Big Ten championship weekend was supposed to be an entire conference. Yeah, that day. Well, why not do? Why not do that with the last week of the regular season? Like so that's the last week of the regular idea. season is a semifinal, two semifinal games that get to into the Big Ten championship, right? And then the other games are your eligibility or whatever you've matched. Just just make the most fun matchups you can for the so, with but, the other. So how do teams. you do? You take out one of the regularly scheduled games then from the regular season well, in order saying, to accommodate yeah, this. It's an, it, you go from an eight game. Con- well, you really end up playing a nine-game conference schedule, but you play it as an eight-game conference schedule. Got it. And that so it's like a little mini tournament up. before the tournament. Yeah, it's and and the math with a fourteen-team league, the math works out really well that way. That is a great idea, and from a TV standpoint, I would love that. The fact that it eliminates the possibility of of two Ohio State Michigan games in a row, 
I think is is pretty odd. Now, it doesn't necessarily because they they could wind up getting matched in the semifinals, but at least so, it's not the championship game. So all you have to do is be in the top four of the Big Ten standings after seven games to put yourself in a position to play into the Big Ten championship and win it? Correct. After eight games. Do you do you ever fear about tournament fatigue? No. Especially not so? as 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 gambling gets legalized in more states. It just it's just a tournament, a final four to help you get into the final four. As long as you well, it won't be a final four though. Or at this point it'll be a final twelve or whatever it yeah. turns out to be. But the, but the thing is I, I just think people like stakes. They like that they like under stakes that they can understand. Yeah. And it does add drama. So I think that would be fun. I also like the flexibility. Like I, I know everybody would be focusing on the semifinals, but I would love the flexibility to create some cool matchups. Like let's say two game two two teams that aren't permanent rivals played an amazing game last year, but then the schedule rotated so they're not supposed to see each other for two more years. Well, you put them together. Yeah. In that in that last week. And and hopefully they play another fun game. Like that's that's the part I think the fatigue in college football and Joel Klatt and I talked about this the other day comes from the we can't possibly schedule any other way. We have to schedule games 13 years in advance. And no, you don't. You don't have to do that. There's a better way. And this is one of them. And, you know, the SEC could could potentially do something like this, too. Yeah, I do. I kind of I like I like the thought of anything new that would create new and exciting matchups. So, you know, it is a very interesting way to look at it because then it's just like all you, all you have to do is be the top four out of 14. That's basically what 30% of the entire conference gets to play in that. And yeah. then it kind of re, it changes away from what you would typically have to do in order to play in the big 10 championship, which is be undefeated or only lose one game in your conference. Right. And the, and the thought is, okay, so it's always going to be Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state. That's all you're going to do state, is Wisconsin. just open it up to the four teams in the big 10, three teams in the big but, 10 East or whatever. And one in the but West. Here's the, th- here's the thing though. Like I was going to be in there pretty frequently. Wisconsin's going to be in there pretty frequently. Uh, but what Minnesota well, may be able to I assume that. that in this scenario, there's no more divisions, right? No, no, the divisions. Are so gone. there's no more divisions. And what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to be big 10 East heavy, right? Or as it currently stands right now, yeah, but you're going to do that with the championship game. Anyway, this, is, this gives the West a, a, a more opportunity to sneak in. I think that if you did this, the big 10 West would have a hard time making it to the title game. Where there would be no Big Ten West. So I'm saying, anyway, like, I'm yeah. using it as a as a right. infra- as a structure, so you can know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, if you're going to have a, a Ohio State Michigan or Ohio State Michigan State or Ohio State Penn State championship every year, I think that would end up being worse. Well, but you know, Wisconsin is, the, or Iowa would probably be good enough to win one of the semifinal right. games. Yeah, right. And Wisconsin or Iowa would be, would occasionally be good enough to win the whole thing. So yeah. that's that's fine. I, I think that would be a lot of fun, John. That's a great idea. If if anybody goes with it, I think John deserves some uh, some finders fee money. Or I mean, that is that is very well thought out. Like when I do these, I write these columns. Like maybe they should try this. I haven't thought nearly as far ahead as John did, so I'm I'm, I'm glad that somebody's thinking. Well, I think like a lot of said. the fun of college football too is like people thinking about this this type of thing. Because yes. we all the thing about it is that college football has changed dramatically, uh, not just with the NIL stuff, but I just mean like the postseason, you know, not too long ago. And 
it seems like it's a sport that's got so many moving parts and it just has endless potential to improve itself. Yes. And people are constantly coming up with ideas like this that make you think, hmm, what would it be like to to cover a season like that or to think about the way that it would go or how would fans react to it? And it's just like endless possibilities of awesomeness, which makes yeah. podcasting fun and, and liking the sport fun. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, I would, this one feels very realistic. Like this feels very possible. If you think it through logically, it makes sense. Like er, the only thing that, that we're, you know, you might have issues and, and schools may push back is, well, you're only going to give us a week's notice of when and where we're going to play that, that last week. I don't know if I want to do that. I think you can get around that. I think, I think you can work with that. So I, I just, I like anytime somebody's instead of complaining about the sport, thinking about ways that could make it more fun because there are ways that could make it more fun. And anything that breaks the sport out of the we must schedule games for 2036 now, I'm all for like because it's too. It's like please. you see on Twitter, uh, Oregon and Alabama schedule a home and home for 2036. And in the moment, it's like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. It's going to be great. But Oregon could suck by then or Alabama could suck by then. Or I might be dead. <laughs> yeah. Or I might like, be dead. I don't like to think about it in those terms. But yeah, uh, how many times have there have there been big time non-conference matchups that come up on the calendar that would have been cool 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. Well, it, like Oklahoma, Tennessee was still fun when Oklahoma went to Neyland Stadium. I think that was Lincoln Riley's first year as OC. But when it was made, like Tennessee was one of the elite teams in the country. Yeah. And I mean, there's like, a tremendous amount of projecting that goes into those. Like you have people looking at recruiting classes and who the head coaching situation is and like trying to figure out what is the likelihood that this team is still going to be good in in nine years. It's like I yeah. remember some of the Ohio State and Miami home and homes or home games that happened that was just like wow this would have been awesome if it happened like, <laughs> right. you know what i mean like if it, it happened, happened like when it was scheduled it would have been amazing yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah we'll be right back after these words as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with betmgm this season we'll be using betmgm lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with betmgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's move on to this this next question. This is a this is a perfect summer podcast column, you name it. Little realignment hypothetical. DB5, which eight teams do you, do you add to the SEC 2014 Super Conference in 2030? And geography obviously doesn't play a factor into it. I I don't know if it does. This this is the type of question that just makes people mad. I know. But, well, you lo- I knew you would pick it, too, the second I saw it. So Well, we know. have to. We have to answer these questions. They so, left a five-star review. Yeah, we promise. So Clemson, so I mean, Oklahoma and Texas don't count for the 24 then, right? Right. They're already in. They're, they're already they're, in. I don't, I'm not very good at math. Um, yeah, so there's okay. 16. So we got eight more. And this is, this is the doomsday scenario that you hear a lot of people throwing out with you know the the SEC and the Big Ten form their their own gravitational pull, and it's essentially two super leagues. So how does it go? Now here's my question to you, Ari: Would it be like that, or would it be that the like-minded programs gravitate to the SEC, which include which would include a certain program in Columbus, Ohio, that is in the Big Ten that acts way more like an SEC program? Than, than a Big Ten program. Yeah, I've got seven that just were easy, and I don't know who the eighth would be. You want me to read the seven? I yeah, mean, all you're doing seven. is you're watering down, or you're you're removing all the fat, I guess, from you know what people complain about. It's like, why do you only focus on these teams? It's just like well, the rest of the sport would be doomed if this happened. But oh yeah, Clemson. Yep. Ohio State. Yep. Oregon. Okay. USC. Yep. Miami. Mm-hmm. Florida State. Yep. Notre Dame. And there's one other one, maybe Wisconsin. Yeah. Would would like Penn State come at that point? Penn State's also uh, Penn State's one of them. Maybe Michigan, Michigan could would, be the other Michigan, one. Michigan State would want in. And then Michigan would be like, no, we could possibly. And then when everybody else was leaving, we'd be like, yeah, no, we're going to. It would be funny, though, because if you put it at eight to make it a 24 super team or conference team, like the teams that get left out, like if you add Michigan and Michigan State into that mix, and maybe Michigan should go just because of its well, like national brand. Well, I think people brand, would be saying, like, "Hey, you, you you're going to have to have a, a hard conversation with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt right now." Yeah, that's true. Because if, if that ever happened, you'd have to have to make you'd have to make room. But like, let's just say I added Michigan to the bottom of the list, right? So you have Clemson, Ohio State, Miami, Oregon, USC, Florida State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. You'd have Penn State looking on the outside looking in. You'd have Michigan State on the outside looking in. Wisconsin on the outside looking in. It's like. You have some really good programs that would just kind of be in no man's land after that, right? Like, I mean, what do you even do if if you have three leftover teams? It's like you might as well just expand it to whatever the next viable number is because I think you're better off having a team like Vanderbilt in your conference than leaving out a team that could enhance it, right? Right, Even if it makes it a weird number. Well, I I think that if this happened – I don't think it would be two leagues. I think it would it would coalesce into one. And it'd be one super league that would be about thirty-five or forty schools. If that happened. I just I I still 
the Big Ten and the SEC are so philosophically different that I, I do find it hard to believe that that would, that would ever actually happen because it would require schools that are currently in the Big Ten and the SEC to then agree on things and, and be part of the same thing. Now, if that league existed, the TV contract for that league would be off the charts. It would make a fortune. I mean, all it would do is just be every week is a big game. Yes. Or every, every week is, is, a is a brand helmet game, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know. You're more of a TV uh, viewership expert than I am, but don't helmet games just automatically get a ton of views no matter what? They do. Like, they even do. if the they, teams they, aren't very good in that they draw in, They draw in the casual fan. Now, the question is, and this is something people have brought up that I think is interesting. Does the casual fan go away if you suddenly make it where, you know, you, you've now shunted off most of the FBS? Like, do those people not care anymore? Or do well, they still care? Because a casual fan is a Mizzou fan. Correct. Who wants to watch right. Georgia Clemson. Right. And if Mizzou exactly. isn't in the SEC anymore. But are they, are they done with college football? That would like, be it. Oh. I'd wipe my hands of it. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. I don't know that... And, and this is this is kind of what the situation was with the Super League in in soccer. There was a fan revolt, and they ended up not doing it. And I do think there there is a concern that if you if you do something like that, you lose that casual viewer that you want. Now, I don't know. I think that if the football is good enough and the product's entertaining enough, they come. The, the, some of those people well, either come too. back or never leave. But you're going to lose people. And gambling, I think, is really changing the shift yeah. of things, too, because gambling is, is five years ago or seven years ago. Gambling was like shady. Yeah. Like you had to find a now it's very mainstream. It's like now it's just a mainstream thing to do. So I think gambling on sports, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people like me who will gamble on anything if it's on television, you know, and it's, yeah. it makes it's like interactive t television watching. Um, so like to me, um, yeah, that that kind of helps a little bit. But like I remember this distinctly because we and you had very different college newspaper experiences mm -hmm. uh you covered a team that was very very good and i covered a team that was pretty good at times uh but no one uh really had any fantasies of them going to a bcs game at that time or whatever it right. was so i remember like walking into a stadium at arizona stadium at one point as like a junior in college you know reporter for the, the student newspaper and there was a big game i can't remember what game it was but i remember the stakes were that if Arizona won, they would get to go to the Las Vegas Bowl. And like the entire <laughs> campus. Ari's dream. No, no. I mean, that was the last bowl. That was the last game I ever covered for the student newspaper. Um, and I remember thinking, why are you guys so passionate? And it had nothing to do with going to Vegas. But they were so into, like, we have to win this game. We have to go to a bowl game. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, like, why what's the point of even caring about your team? If like the biggest thing that you can accomplish is going to the airs, uh, the Vegas bowl, <laughs> you know? And I think that at times it's gotten me into trouble in my current position, because a lot of times I think in terms of, well, are you going to make the playoff? Are you going to win well, the conference? Are you going to win you would, the big, you would have made a dynamite Alabama fan or a dynamite o Ohio state fan or Auburn fan or, or but like LSU that, fan. But or that's Florida what fan. the games as a kid that we watched. We watched yeah. the the Miami games and the Ohio State games and the you know the big time teams back from when we were kids. 
the LSU national championships like that. I mean, I don't think that that's changed. Everybody wants to win a national title. And I just never understood the the temperament of a fan who rooted for a team that has 0% chance of winning the national championship. But now in 2022, that makes for 90% of the entire sport. So like you right. have to like reshift your brain into accepting the fact that there are other things to root for, like the bill, like the second half over. Yeah. But or like just like the build or like, Hey, you know what? I love my program. I'm going to go to that stadium every Saturday when I can, when they're home and root for them to win, no matter who they're playing or how their season's going. And it's like, there's a certain aspect to that that I think is charming. So, you know, and then the, also the, the root and like exactly what we were talking about, Michigan state, right? Like, you know, Hey, we might not win the national championship or two or three years, but hell it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun to try to watch them. Yeah. We're going to try like hell you know? and, and, and this, this experiment and will I think be fun. Expanding yeah. the conferences the way that you would, would completely de- deprive these people of any mm-hmm. last semblance of pride they have in their school because it, they're not even, um, we're not even in the sense of, uh, of inclusion at that point, which yeah, and that's that's why. And, and and I talked about this with Joel the other day. You know, I think people get the we hear from listeners and readers that people think we're rooting for this. We're not rooting for this. We're just telling you this is a possibility. We're telling you this is the direction things might go. I don't think that's a good thing. I don't. I think a national league or a national group of schools or conferences or however you want to do it, but something that covers the entire nation and covers it at at varying levels is a much better product and much more fun and much more, you know, for the nostalgia factor, which I think matters a lot in college football, much more important. So I would not like it to go to the super conference thing. So I'm hoping that the schools can figure something out. And like the stuff we talked about with Joel the other day, uh, there's a lot of people who just reflexively say no to any idea. Like Joel's idea of, you know, create a a governing body for football, which is something they're actually talking about right now. That might actually happen. And that, that governing body, which is basically the CFP would control the postseason, which it already does. But then you give it the non-conference games to sell as part of a TV deal. And then you split that evenly. I I don't think that's impossible. Like, I think the SEC and the Big Ten, you might be able to talk them into that. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody else would want that, of course. But you might be able to talk them into that and say, look, you know, you're still going to be able to sell your conference games and make tons more money than, than the ACC or the Pac-12. But this will help close that gap a little bit. This will this will be the rising tide that floats all boats because you will still make more money than you would have in the old system. And that's that's the way you do it. Like the reason the Dallas Cowboys and and the New York Giants and the Chicago Bears and the the teams that that would normally make the most money in the NFL, the reason they're willing to split the pie with everybody is because they know they make more doing it that way. You can say it sounds like communism, but it's capitalism when everybody's trying to make the most money they can. And right. there's a way that it makes you more if you're the SEC, if you're the Big Ten, doing it that way. And so it's possible. It's still possible to, to have kind of what we have now, but in a better organized way that actually has some rules and and has some some stuff where you, you might be able to create a little more competitive equity. So... Hopefully that's what happens. But let's let's move to the next question. 
Uh, a five-star show about God knows what. I do appreciate this from Funzies. Uh, added this show to my list is sort of the Riley Rain at uh, Southern California. Not really sure what it's about. There's college football talk, dating advice, weight loss tips, fast food rankings that go more in-depth than the recruit discussions, and that's A-OK. Question for, <laughs> An- for Ari and Andy, with your newfound interest in Premier League soccer, will you each pick a team from the newly promoted to root for in the upcoming season? So not we're not talking about Man City. We're not talking about Liverpool. Liverpool. We're talking about the teams that just came up from the second division. Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, or Fulham. Rooting for a top side to win the league is not nearly as much fun as rooting for your side to stave off relegation. Keep up the good work. Um, I don't know anything about any of those teams. Although well, I do. Fulham is owned by the Jaguars owner, Shad Khan. So I'm not sure I trust the, the management there. Uh, Nottingham Forest, I'm a big Robin Hood fan. So I think that's, I, I got to go with, with Nottingham Forest. Hopefully there's not an evil sheriff that will mess things up. I'm still trying to process this. Um, I can I just say something. You may. I I just I got a new sport. Oh, okay. I found hockey. Oh, hockey's a wonderful sport. I don't know anything about it, but I watched the New York Rangers run in the playoffs, and I was very very entertained by it for multiple reasons. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that the entire planet is a soccer planet, and I don't please don't use this as a clip for the promo because I don't want everybody on Twitter to hate me. <sighs> I can't get behind soccer because they don't seem to ever score. And it feels like as they are about to score, it's always like, oh, my God, he's going to score. Oh, my God, he's going to score. Oh, my God, he's going to score. Oh, no, he didn't score. Right. Watching a game like that drives me insane. Yeah. Hockey, if you're going to go, if you're going to have a five to three game like that feels like a good amount of scoring. It yeah, feels feel like, like an scoring acceptable amount really... of scoring where it's not ridiculous. Like, I don't want to watch a 14 to 12 baseball game. That's too much scoring. That doesn't, yeah. my mind doesn't process that right. But soccer, like 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, 2-1, I'm sorry. Just shoot the ball more. Like, I'm all for getting rid of the offsides rule in soccer. Like, cherry pick away. Score yeah, some. Score, yeah, because it's just like you look at the over-unders of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the Stanley Cup, I think it's like the the over unders are usually like seven, you know, or yeah, seven and, and a that half. Feel and that feels about right. And so the soccer the Aval- it's like that, one and a half or two. Yeah, the Avalanche Lightning game one of the Stanley Cup Finals ended with a four three Avalanche win in overtime. Very exciting, very exciting game. They score infrequently enough in hockey to make scores very valuable and and right. huge moments in the game, but they score enough. To make it where it's not boring. And the game the doesn't the feel like it's over when it's one nothing, Right. And I was watching the Super Bowl, whatever game we were, you and I were babbling about back and forth. And I, I think the score might have been 1-1 or something or 2-1. And I felt like that was a high-scoring thing. But it's just like 45-minute halves. Um, it's a lot of time to invest for like well, one my other My other issue with soccer, I'm sorry. We've had clocks for a long, long time that can count backward, and if, if something happens where the ball goes out of bounds, you can press a button and stop the clock, and then yeah, when somebody puts the ball back in play, you can press a button and start the clock. Like, there doesn't need to be any mystery. It doesn't need to be kept on the field by the referee. You could put it on a scoreboard, and everybody could look at it. It's also, too, I feel like the extra time that they put on the clock at the end of it uh, never equates to how much grab-ass is happening during the game. 
<laughs> right. like, it's like it's like I feel like they're only actually playing for 30 minutes of the 45. Well, and they're running and a lot, so I don't necessarily blame them yes, for that. But. Yes, and, and somebody's explained it to me that 45 minutes is much more than you would get in a hockey game to account for, because it's hockey game is this three 20-minute well, periods, which is only 60 right. minutes, or in soccer, it's 90. So, like, I get it. Well, but, and a hockey, a hockey shift lasts, like, a minute and a half, because they are going yeah. all out. Like, you are dead by the end of that 90 seconds. And one other thing about soccer, I despise ties. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, we got do we have to have Herman Edwards come on? I was like, I, there's nothing more unsatisfying to me than watching a game for 90 minutes or uh, three hours, 90 minutes of game time and the final score being unresolved. It's like, yeah, what what was that what, for? Then? Why, 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 why do we do this we for? Here? <laughs> why yeah. were we here today? No uh, ties. I'm it's not American. You. It's like it's it is not American. That's why they do it because they're not <laughs> Americans. <laughs> well, but, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a is, huge. What did Bear Bryant like, say? It's like having to kiss your sister. There is a huge, uh, I feel like influx of American interest in soccer, like more so than ever. Yeah, and it happens. It's happened gradually from the World Cup in 2010 or 11 or whatever year that was to now. Uh, I feel like more. Like I know I've got random friends who are like I got to watch the Manchester United game. It's like okay, <laughs> like I don't even know how you landed on that. But. I do think I do think people like the the fact that it does fit into a nice tidy window. They can say, well, here's where I'm going to be at the bar from here to here, or here's where you know this is my viewing period. Which we get that in college football sometimes. It, it, it's a very different split. Like there's some fans who are like, no, no, college football games need to be shorter. They need to fit in the three hour and fifteen minute window. And then other fans, and and I'm in this group where I'm like, I don't care how long it is. Yeah, I'm here to watch the game. So, yeah, that's funny. So it is, it is weird. Uh, we've got another good question. This is from Joe Philbin. With Ari coming to SEC country at some point this season, can you power rank the top five tailgating drinks to have an unrelenting heat and humidity? Oh, yeah. Um, well, none of these drinks that I'm going to mention are actually good for you when it's hot because they all have alcohol in them and so they will dehydrate you. So mix in a water or Gatorade or now they've got the, the Pedialyte version of Gatorade. Mix that in. I, I highly recommend. But your number one, the number one thing I want to sip on when it's hot and it's going to sound weird, Ari, because part of this is spicy, a jalapeno margarita. Yeah, it is kind of a weird thing. Jalapeno margaritas are the best. The, or and, and I've had like Serrano ones. I've had uh, habanero ones. Habanero is a little little much, but the spicy margarita is a tremendous drink because it's you know it, it, you do it on the rocks. It's cold. It's it's ice cold, and then you get that spicy thing in the back of your throat, and then more ice. So it's a tremendous feeling on a hot day. Yeah, uh, mine is blimes, 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 blimes. You know what a blime is? What is a blime? Bud Light lime. Oh, oh, okay. All right, Bud Light. <laughs> so, if we're going, if we're going with Anheuser Busch, yeah, if we're going with Anheuser Busch products on a hot day, I'm I'm all Natter Days. Have you had Natter Days yet? Yes. Right, so, right now they've got the red, white, and blueberry, which is very good. But the original strawberry lemonade Natter Days is very good too. Um, There's no better just, buzz on the face of drinking uh, on the face of the earth when drinking than four, than lime. four Bud Light limes in, in this <laughs> nice sun sunny day. Yeah, like. It's one of those beers that you could drink all day and not get sick, but also carry like a really solid buzz for a long period of time and they don't taste bad. 
Um, like it's like to me, some of the things that people drink out in tailgates and stuff, it's just like, how do See, you that, drink that? That shit is all the day? tricky part with distance drinking when you are, are going all day is, is pacing yourself and figuring out. So the, that's where if you've got a, if you've got a mass produced macro brew type beer that you love, that's the best spot for that because it will keep you out of trouble. Cause, cause that margarita I just mentioned, if you drink two or three of those too fast, you're done. Your day's over. So yeah. that's the, the, your Natter Days, your Bud Light Limes. Th- those are the ones that'll keep you going a lot longer, especially if you're mixing in the water or the Powerade or the Gatorade that I'm talking about. Uh, if we're doing mixed drinks, though, other mixed drinks that would, would go well on a hot day, the Mojito is a, fa- a fantastic hot day drink. A Moscow Mule is a good one. Well, it, I, would, I, I would also say... Uh, take the replace the vodka in the Moscow Mule with dark rum, and you got a dark and stormy. It is fantastic. That is a very good drink. Or so, or replace the uh, the some of the ginger beer in a Moscow Mule and put in Sprite is also very refreshing. Well, Sprite and vodka will never not be great. Yeah. like that. That is that is. Well, a, I mean, it's just like we're talking drink. about being outside in the heat. I I always like picture tailgating when it's really really hot outside for some reason. That is another one though. The Sprite and vodka or the. We when uh when I was in high school, uh they called Sprite and Bacardi Limon holy water. <laughs> that, that'll get you in deep trouble real fast if you're not careful though, yeah, because it does not taste a, like anything. Pacing is just as important about this than what you enjoy too. Yes. Yes. Like you want to get blacked out, right? I know like you want to be like completely hammered in the third quarter of a big game at you know, in your stadium. I get it. Yeah, see I want to be, con- be sick. I want to be yeah. in control. I want to remember everything. So yeah, you want to be buzzed and happy. I get it. Exactly. So that's the that's the key here. We got time for one more question. This is this is a great one. I prepped Ari for this one going in because I know how he feels about this particular person. Ziggy Stardust five zero four zero three. I've got to find it on my slides here. Here we go. What is Ari's rating of Ryan Gosling's defensive abilities in Remember the Titans? Also, what is the lowest player ranking composite of a team to have a chance to win the national championship? Well, we'll get to that later, but uh, probably it, it's in the top eight. That, that's probably about it. But let's, let's go with Gosling and Remember the Titans. Uh, he is a, a, an absolute liability at cornerback. Absolute liability. Yeah, I, I, my favorite part of the entire movie is when his dad goes, get my kid back in the game. It's like every single thing that they've shown of your kid the entire game is him getting burned by. And like it's not that like he's like not making plays. He's out of the picture frame. Right. Like, are you like not understanding the defense or are you just that slow? They put well, Petey and, in there and the guy's in there swatting the ball away every every other play. Well, that's what Donald Faison replaces him. Dr. Turk. Now, he, yeah, I mean, he's going to become a doctor and be on scrubs, so it's going to be great. But he, so he's, he's probably, uh, that's the thing. Petey's got a, a higher football IQ and he's, and he's more athletic. So, that's sorry, right. I mean, I, I realize you're going to be showing off your abs to Emma Stone later in life, but you're just, you're not equipped to cover, cor- to cover receivers in, in Virginia high school football. You need to go watch Place Beyond the Pines. Will you watch that for me? I will. I will. When, when you mentioned that to me, I, I looked it up because I was trying to remember th- there was a, a big stretch of years where my kids were little, where I, we just didn't see a lot of movies. And you'll you'll be in this stretch now. Your daughter's pretty young, so you're, you can still watch whatever you want on TV. But 
she's going to get old enough to where she understands what's on TV. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to be a little more careful about what you watch. So it will it will limit the amount of movies you can watch. So this one came out in 2013. So that's when my my son was my son was four. My daughter was two. So that's not a movie we would have put on the TV. And and by the time you go to bed, you're so exhausted, you can barely watch anything. So we need to catch up on a lot of those movies. Like it's it's so funny. The Hangover was the last movie my wife and I saw in the theater before our first child was born. And I don't think I got I went into a movie theater again for like six years. Well, the good news for you is that they don't make good movies anymore. So you can go back and watch all the good ones that you missed. Yes. Um, the thing I want to ask you parent to parent question that has nothing to do with. Uh, is it about uh, cheese football. or peanut butter? No. Okay. What is your take on curse words around the kids? So I'm finding myself changing it as they get older. I did not cuss around them at all for most of the early parts of their lives. Like uh, up until they were probably my daughter was 10. Now she's 11 now. And every once in a while, I'll let one slip now. Or every once in a while, we'll let them see a movie where there's where there's quite a bit of cursing or quite a, you know, some violence or something. And I don't want them to be the sheltered kids who've never heard any of these things, never seen any of these things. Like my wife tells this story about her siblings. She was one of five kids. So naturally, the older ones were always doing things to torture the younger ones. Well, they got her to say the C word. And she had no idea what it meant. Because she'd never been exposed to any of that stuff. I don't remember where it was that they got her to say it, but it was somewhere embarrassing. And so she had no clue what she was saying. I don't want my kids to be those kids. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a bad bad parent when it comes to this, but like, I, let me just tell you this. I don't give Mm -hmm. a shit about curse words. (laughs) And I mean it that way because it's just like everybody says them in all walks of life all the time and i get that you don't want them to say it in class but like i'm not one of these parents that's gonna go every time anybody like says something like that well that's inappropriate and that's the thing that that we have talked about here over the last year or two is just because you hear them doesn't mean you say them in class does it like just understand there's a time and a place for everything because yes I want you to grow up to be a functional adult. I don't want you to grow up to be a. Per- yeah. I know you're not going to be perfect. <laughs> I, I feel I like glorifying that. though makes it more tempting to say. Oh, I agree. Like it's one of, one of the things I, I if you make something a thing, it'll be a thing, and that's what I, I worry about a lot. Because and, and it's it's weird because you'll see the spectrum of it. Like when your kid goes to school, there are parents who. They'll show them R-rated movies when they're in elementary school. They don't care. You know, the parents cuss like sailors around the kids. And then there are parents who, like, in middle school still don't let their their kids say but. Like, it is wild how, how far it stretches. And there's no, like, right... I don't think there's any right answer on what you're supposed to do or what you're supposed to say. I just... I think trying to teach your kids how to understand social cues and understand kind of read the room is is a, a valuable skill. So that's what we're working on. And and like with the music stuff, because there are a lot of songs. Obviously, I listen to I listen to a lot of hip hop, and and especially when I'm working out. And I didn't play those around the kids for the longest time. Well, I've started taking them to workouts at this gym where they just play them. And so my thing is. 
I can't, I'm not keeping you from them anymore. The, there are these words in these songs. You are going to hear them. I was listening Do to hardcore rap them. music on the way to dropping off my eight-month-old yeah. daughter to the daycare. Well, I did that, too, when my kids were, were that young. But yeah, once I guess they it'll were, be interesting when they're when she's four. What it'll be like. when when yeah now when they start talking and they can repeat everything, you don't want to be playing those songs around them because they will say that stuff at the know, grocery but store. But if they're <laughs> listening to a three minute song, how do they know what word to pick? They'll pick the one that gets repeated a lot. Which yeah, if I it's guess. the rap Depending. songs that we're talking about, <laughs> you know yeah, which just, word it's going to be, and you know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. So, but I am. That, I, I, I am. I'm gonna try to like lighten up on it a little bit, but it just it yeah. You're gonna like have pointless. to listen to that on your own for a while. But then again, they get older. Like my son's in middle school now, and and he hears that stuff all the time. I was listening so, to Jack Jackie Martling stand up comedy. The oh Howard good Stern, lord, when I was like 11 years old in the car with my dad. Like I, some of my my first memories of being a passenger in his car are listening to like Howard Stern and stuff. Right, and and so. I'm finding myself, especially because my son is now, he's almost 13, like I've really loosened up with that. And then my daughter is is 11 and I've loosened up, but not as much because she's still a little bit younger. But by the time she's 13, I'll have loosened up a lot with her too. You know, the back in the day, and I don't even know if my father knew what he was buying, but he bought me like when I was in third and second grade cd like two like all eyes on me he bought that for me. i was like i was listening to that you know those headphones back in the day that used to go behind your ear oh yeah like they go behind your neck oh I'd be yeah sitting yeah, in the yeah. back seat and he'd i'd just be listening to, to tupac when i was honestly like nine years old i think they had any idea what i was listening to i was like i want that cd and they got it for me i guess parental advisory didn't really work but on see, my, parents. my my parents were both high school teachers so they knew what was okay. popular and so like it wasn't like I could go buy the Chronic. They were never going to let me do that. The Chronic. I don't came think out, if think you it, if you told my mom the Chronic in two thousand, what year was that? Like when I was. It was nineteen ninety two. If you told if you told my mom the Chronic in nineteen ninety five when I was eight or nine years old when that stuff came out, like she wouldn't even know what that word means. Yeah. So my dad, who is a high school assistant principal, knew exactly what it meant. So. <laughs> I couldn't, but my friends had it. So if I wanted to listen, so the chronic came out, I believe I was in eighth grade doggy style came out when I was in ninth grade. Uh, so all, of, all the death row stuff and Tupac starts getting popular. I had to go to my friend's house to listen to that. Or it was like smuggled in during a sleepover in my house and we'd play it after my parents went to bed. But yeah, it, but by the time I had my own car, I had copies of all that stuff. That's so funny. Like what we <laughs> smuggled in. And it's a it's a scariest thing too. It was like thinking about like what how easily accessible like terrible things are. Like if you think about listening to Tupac as some scandalous activity when you're 10 years Whoa, old. Like the, the what could, what that, a 10-year-old can do now? The things that a person can access on the internet that which I didn't even know the the internet was just something that that astronauts used when I was in elementary middle school like I didn't even get exposed to it to my senior year of high school. So the stuff that they can just access accidentally, randomly, or on purpose is insane. Do your kids have iPads? Yes. Because everybody has an iPad now, right? Like that's like the yep. thing. Like you can't make it through I, I have an app an on there that 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 blocks a lot of certain websites and and then tells me if there's something weird or something questionable going on. And it'll like alert your phone. Yeah. 
Oh, that's good. Because like I saw some 2020 special about how there was some weird person like installing software onto iPads with children's software on it. And like was like looking at kids through the through the. Oh, camera. yeah. There's some sick people out there. No. Yeah. yeah so I, I I'm the one who puts the spyware on because I need to see what they're doing. And, and you know, as they get older and I can if, if they earn the trust, then that stuff falls away. Right. But. I need to see what's going on. I need to see, you know, if their friends are talking about something really bad or, or pointing them in a, in a bad direction, I need to know that. And so far, so good. So we'll, we'll see. But it's, yeah, it's, it, it is scary to think. And that's why I, I've not, to, for the most part, I've resisted letting them get on social media. Uh, we had them on the one episode of the podcast, but for the most part, you don't see pictures of them on my Instagram. You don't see pictures of them on my Twitter like I, I'd like them to to be kids for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> well, thanks for taking me on the uh, five minute parenting detour. Yeah, it's. I, listen, I figured it's I, all. It's all. It's I think all there's a lot of listeners out there who are. Yeah, well, there's a lot of listeners out there who are going through this too. Like who? Yeah, you know, and there isn't a manual for it. So uh, we're we're all learning as we go. But it is it is crazy to think how different their childhoods are versus what we had. Like yeah. I mean, I just think what what if one of them grab? I always worried about this. Like, what if what if I had my my phone open to Twitter when they were really little, and one of them one of them grabbed it and just typed in something horrible and hit send? Like, yeah. What am I supposed to say to that? Yeah, when I was in my twenties, I used to delete the Twitter app off my phone when I was drinking. That's a good idea. It's still, that's a, that's good advice now. So yeah, because like so, I'm I'm a bigger problem than my kid right now. So oh yeah. Uh, so so when you're having those blimes, just delete the Twitter app. That's that's, right. that's the way to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Keep the five star reviews with the five star questions coming because you guys absolutely are five star listeners. We love you, and you're the best part about this show. As you can see, your questions are amazing. You think about this stuff and love this stuff as much as we do. So thank you for that. Got a big week coming next week. You're going to have new faces and new places with the Portal Authority, Max Olson, on Monday. And then a special treat the rest of the week. Now, you'll have your usual Stars Matter from Ari. But I am going to be on vacation. But that doesn't mean there won't be shows. We are going to have a lot of fun going through some of the classic games in, in recent college football history. Uh, you, you've heard the rewatchables on, on The Ringer where they, they'll do Karate Kid or The Goonies or, or a movie like that, that that we loved as kids and, and, and watch it again and, and go through it. Well, we're doing that with college football games that we love. So the, these are the three games. We haven't actually decided on the order that they're going to be published in yet, but the three games we're doing are 2nd and 26 Alabama-Georgia National Championship game, the Texas USC Rose Bowl with Vince Young, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, all those people. And then one that Ari is on. The one I consider the most shocking result of the past decade, the 2015 Michigan State-Ohio State game from the Horseshoe. And uh, our, we, we recorded that the other day. It is awesome. Yeah. No, it, was, it was fun to relive it, having been... Uh, been there in person uh very excited to have you guys here. yeah so ari and bill landis joined me for that one it was it was awesome so please enjoy those next week have fun be safe don't do anything i wouldn't we'll talk to you later